All right, if you got your Bible, go ahead and turn it to Luke chapter 8. We're going to continue on in our study of Luke. What I'm going to do tonight is, is I'm just going to read the beginning part of our passage and then we will, um, get to, to the, uh, to the second half of it where Jesus explains the parable, um, as we get into the sermon. And so if you, again, if you got your Bible, Luke chapter eight, starting in verse four, and we're going to read through the end of verse eight. So it says, um, or actually start in verse five. So it says, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, again, we thank you for this time. God, we continue to thank you for all of your many blessings. God, you have designed us. It is at the core of who we are to give thanks to you. God, if we do not give thanks to you, if we, if we hesitate, God, if we drift away from thanksgiving, um, God, we, we, we enter into the very spirit that, that, um, created the situation that we were in, the, the, the situation of sin and, and separation from you, God. And so we want to be people of thanksgiving and, and we thank you for all of your many blessings. God, we continue to thank you for, um, the health, um, that you have shown our, our church specifically, our families and our community. God, um, that you have, um, kept us well and, and even where, where people have been ill, God, that you have, that you have seen them through that and that we have not experienced any of the serious consequences of some of the things that are going on around us. God, we give you thanks for that, that you are a God who has watched over your people and protected us. Father, we thank you that, that you have continued to work out, um, ways that we can continue to meet together and to be together. Um, God, to, to, uh, from all the way up in, in the levels of, of our state politics and things like that, all the way down to, um, the, the, the generosity of those who have allowed us to meet in these spaces. God, we thank you for that. That you have provided a way for us to continue, um, to meet in a way that is, um, that is, 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 relatively easy and without um, a, a lot of hassle for us. We, God, we thank you for that. Um, God, we thank you for the way you continue to watch over us, the way you provide for us, God, the way that you um, care for your people, the way a father cares for his children on a daily basis. Father, most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you uh, that because of him, uh, God, that we can have life, that we can have hope, that we can have a purpose in our lives, that you give us a mission um, that you that you form us and make us into the people that we are called to be. Uh, God, we thank you for that. As we come into this time uh, where we open your word, we ask that that you would shine a light on this text uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would shine a light on our hearts. God, that we would see both of those things rightly, both of those things truly, um, that we would uh, receive your word rightly and that it would be planted in, in the good soil of our hearts um, this day. God, we thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So um, 
some of you guys who, who are not from the Mother Church uh, are not familiar with this uh, organization, but we have this thing at, at Mother Church called KIT Club, and it stands for the Keep in Touch Club. And it's sort of a, a, a group that meets on Wednesday afternoons, uh, once or twice a month, I think, and they they have lunch together, and there's usually some sort of speaker, and, and it's just a time to fellowship and share in a meal together um, for some of our seniors. And so when, when I was working at the church and would be over at the office, I would step over because free lunch, right? And so there'd be all this great food prepared there from the, from the ladies in our church. And, and it was always interesting because I would get to be around and have conversations that I didn't usually get to have. And so one, uh, one Wednesday I was sitting there and there were uh, several couples. Um, the, the Davises for one, who's a former pastor at Pleasant Grove that some of you may be familiar with, um, and a couple other families. And anyway, um, they were all talking about hearing aids, right? Um, like you do. Um, and they were talking about the, the problems of hearing aids and, and the, the foibles of hearing aids and all the things that come along with hearing aids. And one of the things that popped up in the conversation was this idea of hearing aid excused selective hearing uh, was basically what it is. And basically, that was the idea that if, if your, your spouse was kind of hassling you and wanted you to do something that you didn't really want to do, you could always just kind of reach back there and turn that hearing aid down a little bit. And then you wouldn't, you could, when you didn't do it, you could say, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't hear you. I must have had something. There must have been something wrong with my hearing aid or whatever. Right. And so I was joking with them at the table that day. I said, uh, I get, I do the same thing all the time and I can't even blame it on hearing aid. Right. Like I have very selective hearing and, and Christy is always, uh, uh, commenting on the fact that, that I only hear probably about 10% of the things that she tells me. Um, and so I'm guilty of that too. Right. Well, this passage is a little bit about what you could maybe say it's about spiritual selective hearing. Okay. Um, it is, it is. Uh, a passage that is about the way that we uh, receive the word of God, right? Uh, particularly the gospel message, but the, 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 the word of God in general. And I want to draw your attention to one verse sort of as we jump into this, and that's verse 8. There's this phrase there in quotation marks that Jesus is quoting from, from the Old Testament. It says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, All right? And we see that phrase pop up in different places in the scripture, particularly the Gospels, but also the book of Revelation. It's kind of like an enigmatic kind of phrase, right? Like you're just like, what exactly does that mean? He who has ears, let him hear. Does, don't we all have ears? Like doesn't this, what is, what is the point of that saying? Well, anytime it's mentioned, um, anytime it's mentioned, it is pointing to this idea about the importance of receiving the message rightly. Okay, so anytime you hear one of the gospel writers say this, what Jesus is about to say or whoever is about to say, they're saying, listen, you need to understand this rightly and apply it to your life rightly. And the same thing is true of this passage. And it's interesting because this parable is about that very thing. So he's not just in, in general saying, hey, you should hear this parable and apply it to your life. It's a parable about applying things to hearing things and applying it to your life, right? And so there's sort of like a... in. Uh, what inception kind of thing, right? Like it's, it's, it's a, it's a meaning within a meaning, right? Double stacked in that passage. Okay. And so, so Jesus tells this parable about receiving and hearing and responding to the word of God. And he does it in parable form. And so let's, let's talk about parables for just a second as we intro this. So as we said before, Luke is big on parables. Of all the Gospels, Luke tells us more parables of Jesus than any of the other, other Gospel writers. And about half of those parables are unique parables, meaning you can't find them in any of the other 
Gospels. And so Luke is, is big on the, on the form of, of teaching, literature, or whatever you'd call it, um, that are parables. Now, Sunday school answer, if we were in Sunday school and somebody asked me what a parable was, that, that kind of Sunday school answer that I remember from, from being a kid was that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly message. All right? But the reality is, is that sometimes parables aren't stories. They're not always stories. Sometimes they're more like proverbs. Sometimes they're even kind of a, a riddle or something like that. Um, and, and usually a parable has one point. Okay. There is one principle, one moral that is, that is, um, being presented there. You're not supposed to take parables allegorically. Usually, okay? You understand what I mean by that? That the, the idea that you don't go into the, the, the story that Jesus has given and then say, well, this thing represents this and this thing represents this and this thing represents this and it's all symbolic, right? That's not how you're supposed to normally interpret a parable. A parable has kind of one meaning and it's, and it's pointing towards that one meaning. However, this one is an allegory, okay? This one is to be interpreted allegorically. And you might say, well, why do we do it with this one and not other ones? And the answer is because Jesus did. Okay, because when Jesus, he explains the parable to us at the end of this passage, which if you think about it, is not necessarily that common. Usually, Jesus just sort of gives the parable, and then we are left to figure it out on our own. But in this one, Jesus actually explains the parable for us. And so it is meant to be taken allegorically, and he explains the allegory for us. But again, as we're talking about parables, another question that might come up and often does is, why does Jesus use parables so often? Why does Jesus teach in this way? And a typical answer that you often hear is, well, because parables are, they help us learn the things that we're trying to learn, right? That, that it's a, it's a point that we can grab onto. It's an illustration, basically, right? It sort of anchors the, 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 the principle or the moral that's being taught. And so it helps us learn. These things. It's better for us, but we, we learn more easily, you know, it's not just like a lecture or an information dump or something like that, right? Um, and I think that's probably true. That is, we do learn better that way. However, it's not the reason that Jesus uses parables, right? In fact, in this passage, we see it's kind of the opposite of the reason why Jesus uses parables. Okay, so look at verse 9 and 10 real quick. So it says, when the disciples asked him what this parable meant... He said to them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. But for others, they are in parables. Why? So that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. All right? So it seems to be the case from this passage that Jesus says, I don't speak in parables so that more people will understand. I speak in parables so that fewer people will understand. Now, immediately, that should kind of strike us as odd, right? That seems like a weird thing to say, that Jesus that, that Jesus would want to hide his teaching in some way. Now, why is that? What's, what's, what's the, the, the reason behind that? Well, it, it depends a little bit on how you understand those two little words, so that. All right, so you'll notice there, right there in verse 10, the second half of verse 10, it says, but for others, they are in parables, so that... And in the quote, seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. So the question is, is how does that so that function in the passage? Is it the purpose that Jesus uses parables for, or is it the result that Jesus uses the parables? Because the so what could kind of act in either one of those ways. And so if it's the result, meaning Jesus is saying, I preach in parables, and the result is that people 
hear but do not hear, um, uh, see but do not see, hear but do not understand, then he's probably using it the same way it's used in the place that he's quoting it from. All right. So the place that he's quoting it from is Isaiah chapter six, verse nine. And you guys probably remember the story. If you don't remember the story, you can open up your bulletin and look at the little headings that we have all throughout our bulletin because it's the same passage. It's the passage where Isaiah is in a vision standing before the throne of God, seeing um, the glory of God in his throne, the angels standing around God saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. Right. And, and in the light of God's holiness, Isaiah, Isaiah says, woe is me for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips, right? He recognizes his sin because of that being in the glory of God. And then the Bible tells us that an angel takes a coal from the altar, touches it to his mouth as a, as a picture of, a, of cleansing and atonement. And then the voice of God comes from the throne of God and says, who will I, who will go for me and whom will I send? And Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. Right. So that's 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 sort of the that passage. We use that as the gospel picture of our entire service. Right. It's our our service is always modeled after that very passage in the scriptures. But there's another passage right after that, because when Isaiah volunteers to go, God says, I want you to go and I want you to preach this message to the people who are who are the people of Israel who are out there. But I want to go ahead and tell you something, Isaiah. They're not going to listen to you. All right. You're going to preach and they're not going to get it. They're going to hear it, but they're not going to understand it. They're going to see it, but they're not going to really see it. Okay. And so God goes ahead and says, I've got a mission for you, but they're not going to accept it. Okay. And so if that's the case, then that's the same context in which Jesus is quoting this passage, right? He's saying, I'm going to speak in parables. And the result of that is that people are not going to listen, just like they didn't listen to Isaiah. And we know that to be the case, right? Jesus preached the gospel to people, and the people in general did not believe. Now, some believed, obviously, but many people did not. They rejected him, and 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 he and he was executed, right? That was always the plan. And so Jesus is just sort of quoting that passage, saying, "This is what's going to happen." That's if we see so that as a result, and that may be the case. But if it's the purpose of parables. That is, Jesus gives, speaks in parables for the express purpose so that people seeing may not see, hearing may not understand. Well, then we have to understand it in a little bit different context, okay? And, and something that we've talked about several times now as we've gone throughout Luke, remember the scene as Jesus is teaching in these various places. Folks are coming from all over. They're showing up from all over Israel and Judea and, and the whole region, right? And they're coming for all kinds of different reasons. Some people are coming to hear Jesus teach. Some are coming to be healed. Some are coming just to see a healing, right? Some are coming for a handout. They've heard that this Jesus makes bread out of nothing, right? And so they're like, man, I want to come and, 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 and get some free bread, right? Some people are just there for the show, okay? If you're a farm kid living in the middle of nowhere, herding sheep, and you find out that the most important prophet in 400 years is there, you're like, yeah, this is going to be cool. I'm going to go see what's going on with this thing, right? So imagine you're one of these people who's just kind of there out of curiosity, just there for the show, and you show up in the wilderness and Jesus says, hey, I got a story for you. There's a farmer. He threw some seed out. Some of it grew this way. Some of it grew this way. And some of it grew this way. The end. 
those people who are just there for the show, I got a feeling like they're going to go, what the heck? Why did we come out here? Like, this is a waste of my day. Like, I came all the way out to see this Jesus guy. And what does he have to say? Just a bunch of nonsense about a farmer, that stuff I already knew about the way the world works. I'm going home. All right? However, not everybody would respond in that way. Because some people are saying, no, this person, Jesus, I, he, he is certainly a prophet of God if not something more, and whatever he says, it must be important. Whatever he says, it must have meaning. And I want to know that meaning. I want to dig deeper and figure out what it is that he has for us. And so guess what? What do the disciples do after Jesus tells this sort of veiled, enigmatic kind of parable? What do they do? Do they go, well, that was weird. I guess we should go home. No, they say, Jesus, will you explain this to us? Will you explain what you mean? I got a feeling like what's going on in this passage is that Jesus is looking for certain kinds of people, all right? And when it talks about this idea that he is using parables to hide, in some ways, the message, it's because he's looking for people who are not just there for the show. He's looking for people who are dedicated, committed, intent on following Jesus, learning Jesus, seeing what God has for them in in the teachings of Jesus, that's one of the problems that we always talk about, right, with things like the that, that concept of the attractional church, right? We have churches a lot of times that are just like, man, we will, we just want you in the door, man. We just want your rear end in the seat, and we'll do anything. We'll do any goofy thing it takes because we just want you here. And that's all well and good, I guess, except the problem is, is it's sort of the opposite of what we see Jesus doing, Right? Jesus kind of has a different attitude towards these things. Basically, Jesus says, you know what? If you want to go home, go home. If you want to leave, leave. But if you want to stay, then it's probably going to cost you something, right? It's, you're going to have to put some energy and effort into this. You're going to have to dig in and mine out some of these treasures that I have for you because they're not just going to be laid out openly on a silver platter for you to take easily. So here's the deal. This is what we find. Are parables meant to enlighten us? And the answer is yes, they are. But they're also meant to confuse. Okay? They're meant to challenge you. They're meant to shock you even sometimes. Not just to give you some little memorable story to illustrate a moral teaching of Jesus. All right? So that's kind of a big intro, right, to to parables. Okay? Um But what's cool, again, is that then Jesus quotes this, this line from the book of Isaiah in the context of a parable, in the context of the parable of the soils, and it's a line he's quoting about receiving the gospel rightly in a parable that's about receiving the gospel rightly, which makes sense. Of course he would quote that passage. So the disciples say, Jesus, what does this mean? What are you talking about? What is this parable that you've told us? What does it mean? Well, verse 11, Jesus explains it. So he says, now this is the parable. The seed is the word of God. Okay, so this seed that is being scattered is the word of God. We can see that narrowly as the gospel proclamation itself, or we can see it more broadly as just any, the, the, the word and teaching of God in general. Okay, but the seed that is being scattered is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, but then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Okay, so this is a picture of, of, think of a field, right? You've got a field, a crop of corn or wheat or whatever, right? And, and you need to get across that field from now and again, but you don't want to just like trample through the field and go through and destroy everything that's there, right? So what do you do? You create paths that, that are the official paths, paths 
through uh, the field, whether that's for a tractor or for a cart or, or a walking path, whatever. But, but we all know what happens after a while. As you continue to walk that path or, or ride that path or pull a cart on that path, over time, little by little, that soil starts getting packed. Right, it's more and more packed. The more and more you use that field, until eventually, what happens is that path is so hard that the dirt is so packed that it's it's almost like it's almost like concrete. Right? I mean, it can be. It is impenetrable. Okay. You'll notice. You, I mean, you guys have been hiking and things like that. You see the worn path, and there's no grass on it. Right? It has been tread down, and there's a reason why grass doesn't even grow up later because the soil is so hard now that even a seed that lands on it can't get a foothold. Can't get it, it won't germinate. It won't ever start growing. And that's the picture that we have here. There are folks in the world who just like that hard packed soil, their hearts are hard and impenetrable to the word of God. And so I said, it's, it's like, it's like shooting a BB gun at a, at a tank, right? It just, it hits and it bounces off and it has no effect on them. Now, we aren't told specifically why that is the case in their lives. Why do people, why are people's hearts so hard sometimes? Jesus doesn't tell us. We can find other places in the Bible or just in our lives where we've seen it happen. We know some of the reasons. People's hearts are hard because they're mad, right? They're mad at God. They're mad at church. They're mad at family. They're mad at somebody and it's made their hearts hard. Sometimes it's because they're proud, right? They don't need Hell, they don't need to be saved. They can live their life just as they see fit, and nobody should have the right to tell them any differently. And there's a pride that is at the root of the, the hardness. I think oftentimes it's just because they're dull, right? We are, our, our lives, are, our hearts are inattentive. The word comes in one ear and goes out the other. So I think we're all guilty of that, right? Sometimes. Um, I, I give you guys a hard time every once in a while and I'll say something like just out of nowhere, I'll be like, you remember what I preached about two or three weeks ago, right? And you're like, yeah, you're so good. You should tell us again what it was just because we want to hear it again, right? You don't remember what I said three weeks ago. And you know, the truth is, man, I don't remember what I said three weeks ago sometimes. Okay. And I studied it for a week before I said it because sometimes it just, it doesn't take hold. Right? It just sort of comes in one ear and goes out the other. I speak it out of my mouth and it's out there and then I continue to go about my life and, and the next week, um, those things are gone. We're all guilty of that sometimes. And so our, the advice that I would give is, is to say we should be humbling ourselves before God and praying to Him saying, God, will you soften my heart? Right? Will you prepare it for the word to land on it? My, my heart needs to be tilled up, right? Just like the same, just like you would with a garden. You, you've got to till that soil of, of your heart up so that it is receptive to the word being planted in it. And only God can do that. Only God's grace working in your life can do that. And so Jesus says some people's hearts are like that packed down impenetrable soil. But there's another group, verse 13. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But as they have no root... They believe for a while, and in time, in a time of testing, they fall away. So again, the wording makes it a little bit difficult for us, because if, if I said this soil is rocky, you would probably think I meant soil with a bunch of rocks in it. But that's probably not exactly the picture. 
the picture here is of a shallow layer of, of topsoil with, with bedrock underneath. Okay. So I was saying, I was thinking about the fact that you see this in gutters all the time, right? As you're looking on the, on the drains in the street, right? The silt collects in a certain place and, and there's a little bit of dirt there and weeds pop up right there, but right under the surface, it's concrete, right? And so this is the heart that is just like that shallow soil. This is a heart that is shallow in some way or a faith that is shallow in some way. So there's an old joke that, that, that you hear in the church sometimes, uh, pastors, you know, will go around and say, Hey, how big is your church? You know, and ask that question among each other. And one day a pastor asks another pastor, how big is your church? And, and he says, Oh, about an inch deep because that's how some churches are, right? That's how some people are is, is there's, they're, they've, they've never taken the time to do what this passage tells us about. And that's the idea of putting down roots so that you can grow the way you're supposed to. Those roots that we talk about in here all the time, right? Um, putting down roots so that you can connect with God in, in his word and in prayer. Putting down roots so you can connect to his people and in a fellowship, a local body of believers, right? Connecting to your community, right? Putting down roots in a community through serving them and through evangelism. That's the way that we put down these roots because roots do the same thing in a plant as they do in a faith. They feed it and they stabilize it. And the problem is, is that a tree or a plant won't last without roots. And guess what? A Christian won't last without those roots either. They may spring up. They may, they may show a lot of energy at the beginning, but what does it say? Jesus says, as soon as a time of testing comes, some kind of persecution, some kind of affliction, some kind of difficulty comes. As soon as that comes, what happens? Well, they drift away, right? Because whatever it was that attracted them in the first place, maybe those warm fuzzies or something like that of, of the faith, those warm fuzzies aren't going to see you through affliction. They're not going to see you through persecution. But I think truth will. I think real truth, real meaning, real purpose, deep hope, those things will see you through a time of testing. But the reality is, is we only discover those things when we put down roots. And that's the problem with this second soil. There's a third soil, though. Verse 14 is for those that fell among the thorns. They are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. So Jesus relates this third type of soil, this third type of response to the word of God, and it's one that is unfruitful because of thorns. So again, if you've ever gardened, or probably if you've just ever had a yard, you understand what's, what's being talked about here. The resources in the ground are limited, right? Um, if you allow weeds and thorns and any sort of destructive, invasive kind of plant to get established, your garden is not going to grow. It is not going to thrive. Most importantly, it's not going to bear fr fruit. Why? Because the nutrients, the vital things that that plant needs are being robbed by all these other little things that are, that are in the garden too. Same is true of a Christian life. 
We have limited time, limited money, limited resources, limited energy. There are not enough hours in the day, right? You know that. You have experienced it. And so then it becomes about priorities. What are the things that we are going to say are most important in our life? Jesus names the thorns. Did you notice? It's not a comprehensive list, but probably it encapsulates most of the things that are a problem for us. He says the cares, worries, riches, and the pleasures of life. And so again, I would suggest to you, um, maybe you disagree, but man, if you're a Christian living in America, you're in this soil. Okay, this is us. Now, you may be in other soils, and I'm not saying only Americans are in this soil, but man, all three of those themes, those things are very American. Now, yes, again, they're very everybody. Jesus is not just speaking to America in this and this, but man, we exemplify it, don't we? We worry about everything, and we spend a whole lot of money and a whole lot of energy to mitigate those worries. Economy and retirement and health care and property values and promotions and politics and jobs and elections and COVID. And we worry and we worry and we worry and we spend all this energy and time trying to hold those things at bay. And guess what? Those things all have a tendency, and they're not necessarily bad, right? We should be prepared for some of those things. But they all have a tendency to crowd out what is more necessary and crowd out what is a higher concern. He also says wealth, riches are a problem, right? Riches are just us continuing to try to seek after comfort in our lives. We want more. We want ease and entertainment and toys and downtime, right? We're all like that in some way. And many of the things that we consider necessities would be considered extravagances to three-quarters of the world and probably 99% of all the people who have ever lived in the history of the world. So I was joking again at, at uh, with with Christy. We were talking about the fact that you know we're we're moving into my grandparents' old house and we gutted it and we're renovating it and we're we're trying to get it. We're already living in it. We're trying to get it ready and we don't have central heat or air. And when we tell people that, man, they look at us like we're crazy, right? Like we are, you know, that people are like, "Are you okay? Like you can come stay in our basement this winter if you need to." Right. Um, and I appreciate that. That's a really nice offer. But 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 I usually say this. I go, you know what? My, my grandparents lived in that house for like 60 or 70 years and, and they didn't have central air or heat either. Um, and they figured it out. Why? Because it's something that is a luxury that we have decided is a necessity. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying go home and cancel your like your your heating and air. Right. To be faithful. You don't have to do that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not com- commanding that or, or even recommending it. I'm just saying that the things that are not necessities tend to set themselves up as necessities in our own minds. And then finally, the pleasures of life. And that sounds like a pretty broad category and could include a lot of things. And I don't think God wants us to be miserable. God's not interested in us just walking around like sad sacks all the time, just like, you know, like the Monty Python routine, just like hitting ourselves or whatever, right? Um, that's not what, that's not what the kind of life that God is looking for. But at the same time, here's the deal, man. We, we, we hedge our bets, I feel like a lot. When we read what the Bible says about storing up treasures in heaven or storing up treasures on earth, we end up hedging our bets is what we're doing. And we wouldn't say it that way. We wouldn't vocalize it that way. 
We wouldn't look to somebody else and say, you know what, I can't wait to get to heaven and receive the reward that God has for me. But just in case it's all nonsense, I'm going to have a really nice life here, like the best I can anyway. I'm going to make this place as nice as possible. And then if I'm right, I'll get heaven to boot. That'll be a pretty good deal, right? Except over and over again, we read in the scriptures that uh, the treasures that we store up here are, are going to be burned up, right? Christians are going to be judged one day. We're not going to be judged for our sins because that's already happened. Jesus has already been judged for our sins, right, on the cross. Um, we're not going to suffer a judgment of for our sins, but we are going to suffer a judgment for our fruit, for the ways that we have lived our life. We're, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 3, we are going to pass through the fire. And the works that were nonsense and goofy and worthless and wasted, those things are going to burn up. And the things that were of value, they're going to last through the fire. And then there's that, that sort of scary phrase in that line, if you remember it. He says, that person whose works are born, burned up, they will still be saved, but as one escaping through the fire. And you go, I don't know what that means, but I don't think it sounds good, right? That doesn't sound like something that I want to experience. And yet we continue to do that all the time. We continue to store up treasure here as opposed to storing up treasure in heaven. Jesus warns us about that, that a kind of soil is the one that seems to be going okay. The plant seems to be growing okay, but it just never ends up producing fruit that it was supposed to to. Um, to produce. And that leads us to the last one, the good soil. Verse 15, as for the good soil, they are those who hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So Mark chapter four is the corresponding parable to this one in, in Mark's gospel. And he, and he adds a little bit to it. He says, but the ones sown on the good ground are those who hear the word, welcome it, produce a crop 30, 60, a hundred times what was sown. So here's the deal. We are called to produce fruit. That's why we're here. And each of us is going to produce different fruit and different amounts of fruit. Okay, This is not a contest between us. So you don't do this. You don't come to church one day and you look across the aisle and you go, well, Bob over there, he's producing this kind of fruit and that's the standard and I need to produce the same kind of fruit he's producing. That's not what we're called to do. Okay, We are called to produce the fruit that God has called us to produce. Okay, And each of us has our own unique contexts for that. And so, and it's influenced by a couple of things. Your effort is one of them. The effort you put into producing fruit is, is part of what controls the amount of fruit that, that you, that you produce. I think that's part of what Jesus is calling us to in this passage. Also, your gifting influences the kind and amount of fruit that you produce. And so on one side, those giftings are, are come from God, right? They're, they're, they're not something that you can control, but they're certainly something that you can nurture. If God has given you a gift, you should try to grow in it and, and become more um, proficient at it or, or however you want to talk about it. And so our gifting influences the amount of fruit. And then finally, the will of God which we have no control over, right? And so um, I, I mentioned in to the girls, the girls are reading some books on uh, missionaries in the early missionary movement, William Carey, Adoniram Judson. And, you know, these are great stories of, of men who, who toiled in the mission field for decades, 20, 30, 40, 50 years in, in the mission field, and yet saw very little fruit in terms of 
lives for Christ and conversions and things like that. And yet the fruit that they bore after their deaths was tremendous. But that was God's will, right? We, we, as far as we know anyway. There wasn't anything particularly about those people that they were doing that was wrong. Um, it was just that God's timing was, was not there. But they were still faithful. And so we're not responsible for God's will on those things. We're just responsible to bear the fruit that we are called to bear. And so I want to close with kind of two observations about that and about this passage. And the first one is this. Don't assume that you know which soil your heart is. Okay, because I think most of us as believers, we looked at this passage and we go, I'm a good soil. Maybe low yield, right? Uh, 5%, 10% more or whatever. But, but I'm, I'm the good soil, just kind of, kind of low, low yield or whatever. The truth is, is we're probably all, all four of the soils at different times and as the word of God comes to us in different ways. There are so many different times where, you know, you'll hear something and you can probably look through your life and you can say, okay, when, when God, when I heard this, man, it just went in one year and out the other. I didn't hear any of it, just like we said. And then maybe there's sometimes where you hear something in a study or read something in the word or hear something preached and it clicks when they say it and you go, man, that was good. Man, I, that's right. That's true. I believe that. And now it's time for lunch, right? And I got to go get a burger and then it's gone. Okay. Kind of like that second soil. And then there's other times where you'll learn something and hear the word of God and it, and it, it goes in and it, and it sets up and you remember it, man. And weeks later, months later, years later, when it comes up in conversation, you say, Hey, you know what? One time I was uh, listening to a pastor and he said this thing about this. And I just think that's a great principle and it's a great understanding of this passage. And you remember it forever. But then when you start looking at your life, you go, yeah, but I'm not really doing anything about it. Like I've, it's, it's, it's there, but it's not bearing fruit in my life. And so what I would encourage you to is this, is to say, don't just look at this and sort of blanket and go, yeah, I'm probably good. I'm, I'm the fourth soil. It's, it, we're good. Okay. Look at your life and look at all these different places that God is speaking to you and ask the question on each one of them about how God is working and the kind of soil on each one of those things in your own heart. Ask God to reveal it to you. And then the second thing that I want you to, to, to say is this is, is don't ask the wrong question about this passage. Because I can tell you from, from personal experience, every time I've ever taught this passage in a, in a small group kind of context with youth or something like that, at the end of the lesson, somebody comes back and asks this question. Yeah, but Ash, which one of these soils goes to heaven? Because it seems that the first one does not. Right? The language seems pretty clear that, that the word is taken away so that they are not saved. Right? Okay, so we would say, yeah, it seems to be the case that that person is not saved. We would assume that the last person is, right? This person who bears fruit. Um, that is, is the person, that person is, is saved. What about these two people in the middle? What about these two soils in the middle? The shallow soil and the, and the, the, the one sown among 
the weeds. And we start trying to rationalize these things to ourselves and allegorize it for ourselves, right? We go, man, if, if the sprouting is the salvation, then we saw that in, in soils two, three, and four. And so I guess that's the salvation and we're all, they're all good, right? But then you go, ah, yeah, but that first one died. It, it fell away, right? When the affliction came. So, so maybe the fact that the, 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 the plant lives, like it survives, that's what salvation is, right? So that would mean the second and third ones. They're the ones that are, that are really saved or whatever. But here's the deal. That's the wrong question. That's not the point of this passage. That's not what Jesus is getting at when he says these things. The point of the passage is, are you doing what you're supposed to be doing, which is bearing fruit in keeping with righteousness, right? Are you bearing fruit in your life? That's what this passage is about, all right? We're not talking about salvation, we're talking about bearing fruit. And so ask the right question of the text. It's trying to show us that we're supposed to be bearing fruit. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us this, right? We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Again, think about what that means. Think about the, the fact that God has prepared your good works ahead of time. He has ordained them in the creation of the universe and in your life. That means you specifically, uh, your unique combinations of, of some of the stuff we talked about last week, right? Your passions and your desires and your giftings and your skills, your unique place that you are set in terms of the place you live, in terms of the place you work, in, in the people you know. There is never going to be another person in the history of the world that has the same interchange of opportunities and giftings that you have. And the Bible tells us that all those things were part of God's plan for you. Right? They are part of the way that he has designed your entire life ahead of time. And we were created to live, in, we were created to do those good works that were prepared for us beforehand. And so I don't think it's wrong to say is, is, you know, we, we could talk about it from different angles. Sometimes we say the reason why you exist is for worship. You were created to worship God. Right? And that's accurate. But this passage would teach us, at least the one in Ephesians 2, that the reason you exist is for good works. And we recognize that that's really the same answer as the other one. Our good works are worship, right? When we live our lives the way that God has called us to and bear fruit, we are worshiping Him. Our whole lives are worshiping God. We are living sacrifices, Romans 12 tells us. And so that's the picture that we have in this passage. So what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, 30, 60, 100 times what God has sown in our lives. So the key is to think, man, I'm not here to do the bare minimum. I'm not here to get by. I'm not here to be the person who made a profession and then moves on. I'm not here to be the person who kind of sticks around, but I never really bear any kind of fruit. I am called to bear fruit. If in my marriage to Christy, if I just kind of said, hey, Christy, what is the bare minimum I can do to keep you from divorcing? Right? What's I just, just want the bare minimum. Okay. I don't want to do any of that extra lovey dovey stuff, right? Like I just want the bare minimum that you won't divorce me. You would look at me and go, man, what a, that's not how marriage is supposed to work, Ash. That's, that's crazy talk, right? And yet we treat the faith some ways, in some ways that way, right? We just sort of say, man, I think I'm good. I think, I'm, I think I'm going to get to go to heaven. I mean, I think that's the, that's the most important piece. And the rest of this stuff, I'm, I'm not really worried about. And this passage is Jesus saying, you should worry about it. 
right? Because that's why you're here. That's why I save you, in fact, for these good works that you're supposed to be doing. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. I want to close right there. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer and, and, and kind of pray in terms of those two things that we closed with. Praying in terms of asking God to open our our eyes and, and reveal to our hearts the ways that we, the kind of soil that are in our hearts that his word is landing on. And again, maybe it's different kinds of soil for different kinds of issues, different ways that his word is coming into our lives. And so ask God to show you that. Ask God to show you how that you can work that soil and turn it into the good soil where his word lands and, and bears fruit. And then on, on, on top of that, right, um, don't ask the wrong question of this text. Don't rest on the idea of saying, cool, I'm saved, and that's all that matters. But say, God, I want to live faithfully, right? I want to do the things that you have called me to. I want to live in a way that glorifies you each day. And that doesn't mean I overlook the grace that I have in salvation, right? It means I live my life in light of that grace that I've been shown through the cross of Jesus Christ. So go to the Lord and pray those things right now. Um, ask the Lord to show them to you. I pray that and, and, and hope that you will continue to pray this throughout the week and honestly throughout your lives. Always asking God to show us these things in the ways that we fall short of these things. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and then um, David and Amy are going to come up and they're going to close this. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, sometimes uh, as I look to my own heart, I am, uh, I, I, God, I feel as though you must be looking down and, and asking the question, why is he wasting the time that I have given him? Why is he wasting the resources that I have given him? God, sometimes I, I, I in, in, in my sinful heart, um, I feel like uh, that those are the things that make me right with you. And I know that that's not right. I know that's uh, a lie, God, that that is, the, that is the sinful default position of my own heart, that I am not right with you because of the things that I've done, but I am right with you because of the things that Jesus has done in my place. So we don't look over that fact or that grace, God. We lean into that, that grace, God. We recognize that the only reason we have any hope at all um, the only reason that, that we are even having the conversation about how you would have us to live and the fruit that you would have us to bear, the only reason we can have that conversation is because of the grace that we have been shown in Jesus Christ that we did not deserve, that we did not earn, and we did not merit. But God, in, in because of the grace that we have been shown, because of the way that you have come into our lives and saved us when we deserve nothing, that by grace we are saved and this is not of ourselves, God, because of that, we want to be faithful. We want to live in a way that honors you and that shows the world around us that we don't not only believe in, in who you are and what you have done, God, but that, that you are worthy of, of our entire lives being rearranged 
uh, and, and its priorities being changed because of who you are and what you've done. So, Father, we pray that you would continue to do that, God, that you would show us the ways that our hearts are are hard or rocky or thorny or 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 God, the places that it is it is good soil, and yet ways that we can uh, nurture it and and make it even better. Father, we ask that you would show us those things, that we would live in a way that honors you and everything that we do and bears fruit in keeping with repentance and righteousness. God, we thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in the holy and precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand and sing the closing song.
tonight it's good to be back man i love i love the sound of us in this space like i just i like it um i, I love the mother church too but but i like being back here and so it's good to see you um hope you have a great week um let's let christ be seen in our lives uh, let's bear fruit um this week um as we go and, and live in a way that honors jesus christ in everything we do um here this benediction as as we leave may the lord bless you and keep you Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week. Hold on. Hold on. So as some of you know, um, today is Pastor Appreciation Sunday. So Julie and some of the other ladies in the church have uh, gone out and we put together a gift for Ash and his family. There it is. Thank you very much. Um, also... Uh, Julie is also putting together, if you didn't get a chance or, or uh, for whatever reason you didn't contribute to this gift, um, Julie is putting together a meal train for Ash and family for the next, what is it, four weeks? Four weeks to provide meals for them since they're in a house that doesn't currently have a kitchen. So <laughs> if, you, if you would like to be part of that, um, please go see either Julie or Angie Hodges, and, uh, and she'll get you set up on that meal train. But Ash, we just wanted to say that we love you guys. Uh, we're very thankful to be part of this church. And uh, you you reach out to us in new ways every every week. And it's just a small, small portion of our gratitude for you guys. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Um, that's awesome. Uh, because, yeah, we don't have a kitchen. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, 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 right. It's, it's, it's something we don't need. We don't need food. It's not a necessity. Um uh, yeah, that's, man, thank you guys so much. That is awesome. Um, I appreciate, um, I, I, I've said this before, but, but I, I never knew how much I liked being a pastor until, um, we started this church. Um, and, um, I love you guys and, uh, I appreciate everything that you do and the ways that you serve and the ways that you bless uh, me and my family. Um, all the time. So thank you for that gift. Um, thank you for the meal train. Um, and, uh, man, we look forward to actually being at a point where we can welcome people back into our, our house. Christy and I um, love entertaining. We love having people over scruffy hospitality. We, we love doing that. And, um, and it's, yeah, that's right. Yeah. We got lots of outdoors now. Right. And so, man, but right now it's really scruffy hospitality. Okay. It is, it is frontier hospitality at our house right now.
So um, here pretty soon, we'll get a few more pl- things in place, and, and, and we'll, we'll welcome you all to our new house. Yeah, we do have, we, yeah, we, we have a library because books are the first. We weren't worried about food. Um, well, first we were worried about getting the books in place. And so, and that continues to be the priority. So, um, again, thank you guys. Um, and, um, we'll see you next week. Have a good night.